Good morning. The title of this morning's message is A New and Different Kind. This morning I want to talk to you about some of the new and different kinds of things under the New Covenant. Under the New Covenant, <laughs> we have a new and different kind of kingdom with new and different kind of laws where we become a new and different kind of creation as we enter into a new and different kind of relationship with God. Completely different from the Old Covenant. So, the whole reason that Jesus came to die in our place was so that our Father could bring mankind back into right relationship with their Creator, where we could experience our Father's kind and quality of life. And we could learn to rule and reign on earth here and now through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, through our oneness with Christ. And we can see this, of course, in Romans 5, verse 17. Very familiar. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more <laughs> they which receive the abundance, the word there is superabundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Ruling and reigning in life through Christ has always been our Father's desire for mankind. Always. But Adam and Eve willingly chose to disbelieve what the Father told them. And then they decided to disobey his will for them. His will was that they should eat of the tree of life and live forever. <laughs> but their will was to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, whereby they became fallen human beings under the power of sin and death and dwelling spiritually in the kingdom of darkness. So, through Adam and Eve's disobedience, mankind went from being the God kind of human beings to being the fallen kind of human beings who were under the power of, of sin and death and who lived in the kingdom of darkness. We don't really see that when we look at the story. We're like, well, how do we know that? Well, we know it because of the new covenant. <laughs> A lot of things are explained because Jesus came. <laughs> now, our father knew that Adam and Eve would choose to sin and thereby activate the law of sin and death. So he had already planned a means of mankind's restoration, even before he created Adam and Eve. So in order to rescue mankind from their fallen state of being, our Father provided the way for mankind to be restored to right relationship with himself by enabling us to once again become the God kind of human being through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We call it being born again or being born from above. In John chapter 3, Jesus had his very famous conversation with Nicodemus regarding the kingdom of God where Jesus tells him that he wasn't even in a position to be able to see or comprehend the kingdom of God, much less enter it. <laughs> Jesus had to explain that the kingdom of God was first and foremost spiritual, but that he, Nicodemus, was still of the flesh. He was the fallen kind of human being. He lived in the fallen natural realm. He was not yet able to be born of the Spirit of God. In other words, Nicodemus was not yet the God kind of human being that God had always planned for him to be. And only the God kind of human beings live in the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul reveals the same spiritual reality over in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, where he's speaking to believers about the truth of what they really are. 
says this, but ye are not in the flesh. And if you look at it in the Greek, it says, and ye are not flesh. The word in isn't actually there. (laughs) But ye are spirit. (laughs) If so, the spirit of God dwell in you. That's the only test for a Christian. Does the spirit of God live in you? Are you the God kind? (laughs) Now, if any of man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's not about if you've been baptized or if you've been confirmed or if you went to Sunday school or how much you read your Bible doesn't matter how good you are. Are you flesh or are you spirit? What is the real you? So when we accept Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the very death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus so that our old fallen man and nature is actually killed off. (laughs) You do not have an old man. (laughs) And then he raises us up into his new life, his new nature, his new image and likeness. Christ himself makes us the God kind of human being. And of course, Jesus is the prototype of the God kind of human being. A human being with the very nature of God himself, filled with God himself, and permanently connected to God himself and living in and from God's very own kingdom. Our Father wants all of mankind to be restored into being the God kind of human beings who are eternally connected to the Father through the indwelling Christ. But unfortunately, much of humanity believes itself to be essentially good. And therefore, since they're essentially good, they don't need a savior. Many have simply concluded that if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, and there really is a God, then heaven will one day be their home. Because they have mistakenly believed that it's good people who go to heaven. But the truth is, only the God kind of people go to heaven. And that's because they are already citizens in their Father's kingdom. They already reside there in the Spirit. What unbelievers don't realize is that a fallen kind of human being is capable of doing much good (laughs) in terms of deeds. But good deeds will never cause them to be born from above. Good deeds will never change them into a new and different kind of human being, the God kind of human being. In fact, doing good deeds won't even translate them or transfer them into being a really good person. (laughs) Because the only really good person is the God kind of person. So for the most part, fallen humanity just does not realize how different God really is from themselves. And the truth is, sometimes the church doesn't even know just how different God is from fallen humanity, or just how new and different God has really made his children. A good example of this complete difference between the fallen mankind and the one true and living God can be seen in an Old Testament story found in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. In that chapter, we see King David met with his leaders, and they all decided that it was a really good time for the Ark of the Covenant to come to Jerusalem. It had been previously taken by the Philistines, but then it was retrieved and left in a place called Kiriath-Jerim until it could be returned to Jerusalem. Now, God has some very specific instructions within the law. 
as to who and how the ark of God's presence could be moved. And if those instructions were not followed, the outcome would be deadly. <laughs> not just uncomfortable, <laughs> deadly. And we can see this in Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, which says, And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all of the furnishings of the sanctuary, as the camp sets out, after that the sons of Koath shall come to carry these things. I mean, they tore it all down and they were moving. <laughs> but they must not touch, they must not touch the holy things. Why? Because they'll die. <laughs> these are the things of the tent of meeting that the sons of Koath are to carry him. Sons of Koath were one of the tribes of the Levites. Only Levites were allowed to touch the holy things. Now, these commands are part of how God was trying to teach the Israelites about just how different or holy God is. God is completely holy, which can be understood as being completely different from anything else we know. It can also be understood as God's moral perfection. That's always good too. <laughs> God is holy, meaning there's nothing tainted in God. He has no shadow of turning. There's not even a hint of darkness in him. He is, in fact, pure goodness, pure agape love, and pure righteousness. There's no wrongness in God. And that means everything he does is right, even if we don't understand some of the things he does. All these attributes, of course, refer to God's nature. And his nature is altogether different from the nature of a fallen human being. So in the Old Testament, when God's nature came in contact with man's sinful nature, death resulted. <laughs> Not because God was mad at the fallen human being. It's just that his nature brings destruction to the sinful nature. I like to think of it this way. The nature of the sun is hot. It is never cold, ever. It's always hot. You can't get cold out of the sun. <laughs> the closer something gets to the sun, the quicker it is completely destroyed. Now, the nature of ice is cold. <laughs> As my husband likes to say, you can't get heat out of a cold motor. <laughs> Turn on the heat. Can't get heat out of a cold motor. <laughs> so, ice is always cold. But if you put ice cubes in the sun, the heat of the sun will completely disintegrate the ice. Not because the sun is mad at the ice cubes, <laughs> but because the nature of the sun is completely different from that of the ice. The complete differentness, the complete holiness, destroys that which is not like itself. Now, we can actually see this same kind of scenario in a conversation that Moses had with God. God told Moses that he was to lead Israel into Canaan, the promised land, but God's physical presence would not go with them. <laughs> due to the nation's unbelief and the very recent incident with a golden calf. <laughs> so Moses intercedes on behalf of Israel and petitions God to please, please go with us. Exodus chapter 33, beginning with verse 13. This is Moses speaking to God. 
Now, therefore, if I have found favor, you already knew God wasn't happy with the people. (laughs) If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. (laughs) I love that. These aren't my people. (laughs) These people are a problem. They're your problem, God. (laughs) And verse 14, God says, he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound familiar? Like father, like son. It is always God's presence that puts us at rest. Verse 15. And he, Moses, said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? This is still true about God's people. We are distinct. We are different. We're completely different from a fallen human being. Not because of anything we have in ourselves, but because of the presence of God living in us. Not just us. God is in us, and God is one with us. We are distinct. We are holy. We are set apart. We are His. That's how I like to think about holiness. Hisness. Because He set us apart from the world and unto Himself. He made us His. <laughs> Hisness. Holiness. Verse 17. And the Lord Yahweh said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor. You have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. Now, I added the Lord's name there, Yahweh, because it's actually there. And it's important. I know translators are trying to do what the Jews did and just cover up God's name. (laughs) But this is God's personal, up close and personal, let's have relationship name. Yahweh said, you have found favor. You have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. He's saying, I really know you. (laughs) More than you think I do. I really know you. Verse 18. And Moses said, okay, you really know me and I have favor. Please show me your glory. This might be why Moses found favor with God. Moses wanted to know God experientially. And he wanted to know how to please him. Basically, I think Moses wanted to know, God, just exactly how big are you? (laughs) So he asks, he show me your glory. And the word glory in the Hebrew means weight, but only figuratively in a good sense. And it can refer to splendor or copiousness. It can be translated glorious, gloriously, glory, honor, and honorable. But this word weight carries the idea of being heavy, (laughs) with rich and abundance. It is, how much do you weigh, God? That's what he's saying. How much do you weigh? How wonderful are you? Can I know the extent of who you are and what you're like? That's really what he was asking. He says, I want to know your character. So show me. Let me see. (laughs) Verse 19. And he, Yahweh, said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, the up-close-and-personal covenant-keeping God. 
and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And the word gracious here, it refers to grace, the way we understand grace. But the word mercy here does not refer to God withholding punishment. The word mercy here would better be understood as God's tender, compassionate, loving kindness. The word compassion refers to his loving kindness entering into our suffering and alleviating it. God is not a fan of suffering. It is his heart to always alleviate it with all of his goodness and grace. Now he'll use it. (laughs) He doesn't have to use suffering to teach us. Suffering is not the teacher. Jesus is the teacher. So that is always God's heart, that he would enter into our suffering and alleviate it. Verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Why? Because God is like the sun, and we are like the ice cubes. (laughs) And if we saw the full extent of who he was, we'd be disintegrated. (laughs) Verse 21. And the Lord Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me. You shall stand on the rock. The translators did that on purpose. The rock. According to the Apostle Paul, it's the rock that is a symbol and picture of Christ. And Christ is the place from where we can see, know, and experience the fullness of our Father's goodness or glory. Verse 22. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. I looked up the word passes by in the Hebrew. We would probably be better to translate it crosses over. You see, God is hiding hints (laughs) with rocks (laughs) and glory and being able to see. He's hiding hints from Moses that Moses may not have gotten until much later. So, and while my glory passes over, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have crossed over. The glory had to cross over from the spiritual realm where God resides into the physical realm where we are. When Jesus came in the incarnation and when he went to the cross and destroyed the power of sin and death and then poured out his fullness into a brand new creation through the Holy Spirit, that's when God crossed over into human beings. Verse 23. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen, at least not until Jesus shows up. Jesus is the expressed image of the Father. We see in this story that God's love for Moses and mankind can be likened to the Son. It is limitless in its power and goodness. But Moses and all of fallen mankind are like ice cubes, (laughs) and getting too close would not bring them life, but death simply because their natures are completely different. And because their natures are completely different, the father had to actually protect Moses from the fullness of his goodness. Understanding just how different fallen humanity is from God and his goodness can also help us to interpret what happened with David's men when he decided to move the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. It was God's will for the ark of God's presence to come back to Jerusalem. But David failed to consult God or his written word (laughs) concerning how to bring about God's will, God's way. 
So David simply did it in his own fallen way, which seemed perfectly good to him. <laughs> and we find this story in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, beginning with verse 5. So David assembled all Israel from the Nile of Egypt to Lebo Hemeth to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerum. And David and all Israel went up to Bela, that is, to Kiriath-Jerum, that belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of Yahweh, who sits enthroned above the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah, and Ohio <laughs> were driving the cart. And David and all of Israel were celebrating before God with all of their might, with song and lyres and harps and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. This was a party. <laughs> the presence of God is coming to Jerusalem. The presence of God brings blessing. The presence of God brings joy. The presence of God, they're so happy. The presence of God is coming. <laughs> they're so happy. God will surely be pleased with all of our music and dancing and celebrating, right? <laughs> but then something bad happened. <laughs> Verse 9. And when they came to the threshing floor at Chidon, Uzzah put out his hand to take hold of the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord, the anger of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. And David was angry. <laughs> Every good man of God. <laughs> and David was angry because Yahweh had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, which means outburst against Uzzah. <laughs> so whose fault was it that this bad thing happened? <laughs> we could say it was the oxen's fault. If the oxen hadn't stumbled, this never would have happened. We could say it's Uzzah's fault. He was just trying to help God. <laughs> or was it simply the Lord's fault? He's just ticked off and he's showing everybody how powerful he is. Or could it actually be all David's fault? <laughs> Technically, yep, it was all David's fault. <laughs> he forgot about the laws regarding how to move the Ark of the Presence. He either forgot or he didn't care. And he thought, well, as long as we have a big party, God will be perfectly happy with what we do. <laughs> We're going to do it our way. So he, in his fallen understanding, thought God should be happy with this huge party and all of David's good intentions. <laughs> Just like most fallen human beings, David believed that God should be happy with him based on his own goodness and his own good intentions. God should be happy. See, I did this great thing. It's just like a fallen human being to blame God. <laughs> God, this is your fault. <laughs> but it really wasn't. Human beings in general would rather blame God for all the bad things that happen in their lives rather than taking responsibility for their own actions. And that was definitely the case with David. Now, it does say that God was angry at Uzzah. But the word angry can also be translated just as correctly as displeased. <laughs> Is God ever displeased with what we do? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was displeased with Uzzah in the sense that we as parents can be displeased with our own kids. I mean, let's face it, there is nobody we love more than our kids. But sometimes <laughs> you like to strangle them <laughs> because you love them so much. <laughs> 
I think God was displeased with Uzzah in the sense that we as parents get displeased with our own kids. I remember saying to my kids, don't make me ground you. <laughs> this is the third time this has happened. It happens again. You're grounded, which I hated to do it because then it messes with my schedule. <laughs> so it was more painful for me than it was for them. <laughs> but I would, no, don't make me ground you. You know the rules. Do what I'm telling you. <sighs> and I always made it a point to always be completely truthful with my kids. Even if they asked for something or to do something, I, if I hadn't yet prayed about it, maybe. And they say, oh, you always say maybe. Until I hear from God, it's a maybe. Because <laughs> I'm not going to say yes and then have to go back on my word. Why? Because I'm different than a fallen human being. They hated it. They hated the word maybe, but they, it usually got turned into a yes after I prayed about it. <laughs> so I would never go back on my word. If I told them they were going to be grounded, or I told them they were going to have to pay for their own car insurance, or I told them they had <laughs> whatever I told them, that was the law. That was the way it was going to be. I always wanted to keep my word to them, no matter what. Now, who else do we know that's like that? <laughs> God. I had to keep my word even if I didn't want to. Because I wanted them to always, always, always be able to trust my word. And that meant following through on what I said, even if it had been easier for me to let them off. <laughs> and so it is with God. <laughs> God had to keep his word. God is a glory, is glorious in goodness. He has riches abounding in his goodness. We can't even get to the end of his goodness. We can't even fully understand the capacity of his goodness. And if he doesn't keep his word, then he's not actually good. So he had to keep his word. And his word said, if you touch the holy things <laughs> and you're not a Levite, yeah, you die. <laughs> so when Uzzah touched the ark, it was like ice cubes touching the sun. He died instantly. But not because God was mad at Uzzah. He was displeased with his actions. But it does say also that Uzzah died in the presence of his God. Verse 10 again. And the anger or displeasure of Yahweh was kindled against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he put his hand to the ark, and therefore he died before God. This word before isn't actually the word before. <laughs> it's actually the word panim. The word panim is actually the Hebrew word for face. We, it's often translated as presence. There is no Hebrew word for the word presence in English. So whenever they're talking about the presence of God, the word is always panim, his face. If you have his face, you have his presence. <laughs> it says he died there in the presence of God. In fact, the International Standard Version translates this as he died there in the presence of God. That sounds a little different, doesn't it? I think you know, the writer could have just said, Uzzah died, period. <laughs> he got what he quote-unquote deserved. I think he may have added the phrase in the presence of God in order to marry God's heart of compassion with God's justice of having to keep his word. Through the Old Testament stories and laws, we see just how different God is from fallen humankind. 
but we also see God's desire to be in the presence of his fallen human beings. But if you hug them, they'll die. <laughs> he wanted to enjoy relationship with them. But the difference in nature and character kept them separated from one another. Still does. So God gave Israel the law and the sacrifices as a way for them to be able to set aside their sins. So God would accept the blood of an animal as their substitute for their own blood. They wouldn't have to pay, quote unquote, the penalty of death. And then God would cover over their sins with this blood so as not to be able to count their sins against them. But this system never enabled a fallen human being to be changed into the God kind of human being. God had a plan that would completely eliminate the power and presence of sin within the human heart. He wanted them to be his in nature, holy. <laughs> he wanted them to be his. He wanted to be able to touch them without them dying. <laughs> he wanted them to be able to know his goodness and experience his goodness. So it was a plan that would give a human being a brand new sinless spirit and a brand new sinless heart, thereby making him completely compatible with a perfectly holy and righteous God whose presence would no longer bring death, but life. And not just life, but eternal life, eternal fellowship, uninterrupted fellowship. Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, our Father offers every human being the opportunity to become completely new and different. A completely new and different kind of human being. The God kind. The holy kind the new and different kind. Again, we see this newness in the very familiar scripture of 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new kind of creature. The old original things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And by saying all things are become new, I believe the Apostle Paul is including everything that comes with God making salvation an inside job instead of an exterior job. All things really did become new in the spiritual realm under this new covenant. But we can only understand and perceive them with the eyes of faith and by the witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We can't discern what is real and true about our new spiritual self by our feelings or by looking in a mirror. I actually was born again at 10 and had no understanding of being born again until I was 20-something. <laughs> so I started going to this little holiness church and they were telling me, hey, you're born again, you're brand new. I don't feel new. <laughs> mm, look in the mirror, I don't look new. <laughs> in what way am I new? Unfortunately, they weren't really good about that part. See, see, they told me I was still a sinner. Well, if I'm new, am I still a sinner? Yes. What? <laughs> it's not what Scripture says. <laughs> the only way we can tell what's new is by the Holy Spirit showing us by the Spirit and through the Word. We can't tell what's true about us by how we feel. Because some days you might not feel saved. <laughs> Some days you may not feel holy. <laughs> Some days you may not feel loving and kind. But God has given you a sinless heart 
and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who gives all that that we have need of. We are sinless in our spirit man. Sin can never touch our spirit man because it's eternal. So we must look into the mirror of God's word because we are what God says we are. We are not trying to become holy and righteous. Holy and righteous is what God has already made us to be when he joined us to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And we can see this in Ephesians chapter 4. I have it for you in the Passion Translation, beginning with verse 21. If you have really experienced the Anointed One and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, that old man, (laughs) that old self-life. Let go of that, which was corrupt by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed outwardly (laughs) as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness. You now belong to him in the realm, the spiritual realm of true holiness. He's the holiness. He's that which is holy. He is that which is completely different from anything we can see in the natural realm. We have been made holy, set apart unto him and like him. We are now truly different, completely different. This world is so corrupt (laughs) and yet people don't see it. They don't see how awful corruption is. <laughs> Unless you start coming out in the government, then we can sometimes see it. <laughs> we are completely set apart from the kingdom of darkness. We don't live in the kingdom of darkness. We live in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of holiness. That's where we reside. We went from being humans with ice cube natures to being brand new humans with the very nature of the true Son the son of the living God. All that humanity has ever known is this fallen, corrupt world. They don't even seek for God most of the time. This whole world is filled with corruption and fallen human beings (laughs) who don't even know that they live under the power of the kingdom of darkness. And they don't even realize that it is the God of this world that blinds them to the goodness of a good, good father. And yet there are those, like Moses, who hunger and thirst for real righteousness, real holiness, real agape love, and real goodness. Our Father's glorious, abundant goodness. It is in seeing the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, to changing their mind about about what they want, that they can know this God, they can be one with him. Our Father answers the hunger and thirst for righteousness and holiness by inviting us to become partakers of his very own divine nature. And by placing our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as our substitute, we are killed off and a new, a brand new creation is born. There was only one way for a human being to become holy, altogether different from the sinful, corrupted world. And that was by our Father, providing a way for us to be separated from our sins and our sinfulness. And in order for us to be separated from our ice cube works and our ice cube natures, 
We needed to be able to go into death where all of our ice cubiness <laughs> would be completely destroyed. But if we went into death ourselves, we would simply stay dead and separated from God. And that's not what our Father wanted. Our Holy Father sent His Holy Son to bear all our sin and sinfulness in our place. He was and is truly God and truly human. And only Jesus was qualified to carry the sin and the sinfulness of the entire world into death because he was truly holy and truly righteous. He had no sin of his own. So the law of sin and death could not keep him from rising victoriously from the dead. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father has crossed over into the physical realm because there was no way for us to cross over into his. There was no way for us to reach him, so he dressed himself in humanity and came where we were so he could make us be able to be with him. There was no way for us to be able to really know and understand, at least in part, this glorious goodness of a holy and righteous God. There was no way for his wonderful presence to be present inside of a man, even if that was that man's desire. Like Moses, many have cried out, show me, show me your glory, show me your goodness, that I may know you, and that I may find favor and grace in your sight. So he showed us all of his glorious goodness by placing himself on a cross and making a way for us to be able to cross over into his realm and presence. He made a way for us to be placed in the cleft of the rock, who is Christ. And he made a way for us to become like him in his holiness so that we could have a new and different kind of relationship with him as a new and different kind of creation. Even as God told Moses, so now he tells us, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Moses knew that God's presence was everything they needed in order to accomplish God's will for them. But Moses also knew that they were to be a light in this world, and that they would be a light to this world because God's favor and presence made them different from everybody else on the face of the earth. God's presence with them made them a new and different kind of people. Again, Exodus 33, verse 16, Moses said, For how shall it be known that I have found favor or grace in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, we are different, we are holy? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And so it is with us, only so much more so. God isn't just with us. He is in us, and he is all glorious goodness. He has made us distinct from every other people on the face of the earth. He has made us to be a new and different kind of people, the God kind the holy kind, the new and different kind. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. 
often believers play with sin, <laughs> thinking that it's going to make them happy. And it's only because they don't realize how different you've made them. Our joy, our happiness, our life is only found in you. You are everything we need. You are our joy. You are our joy. You are our peace. You are our love. You are our holiness. You are our life. You are everything to us. And that's the way you always meant for it to be. Help us, Father God, to remember just how different you've made us. That it's important that the world know. It's important that the world see that we're different. And that that difference is based on the presence of God living in us. Father God, cause your presence in us to be as real and as distinct as the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke. Father God, help us to remember that we are a light, even if we don't want to be. <laughs> you are in us, and people can see, people can understand that we're different because we belong to you. And you've made us just like you. Help us, Father God, to walk in all your goodness and to relate all that goodness to others in our life. Father God, we just thank you for everything. In Jesus' name, amen.